Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 12th edition of the Rambling Brews podcast. I am your host, I go by the name Tim, and in the words of the nature boy, woo, Ric Flair, I'm the man that's causing all this. (laughs) But unfortunately for me, I completely mushed the West Virginia basketball team with all my praise for Bobby Huggins and the Mountaineers after not watching a single game this season, I might add. And they just weren't able to make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. So that's on me. That's on me. My bad, my bad. But on a much brighter note, this episode's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. I'll be joined in a little bit by the first recurring guest in Rambling Brews podcast history. This man was electric the last time he was on. My buddy Ray, he'll be joining and we have some fun topics to chat through. I think you're really going to enjoy that. But you know the drill. Another day, another pod, another cold Coors Light. Man, oh man, I'll tell you what, being a Pittsburgh Penguins fan is a grind at times. Yes, there are the many highs over the last 15 plus years, right? The four Stanley Cup final appearances, three Stanley Cup championships, multiple division titles, multiple MVP players, multiple scoring titles, being the biggest draw in the National Hockey League. But one thing the Penguins can never escape from. These goddamn injuries. We've talked about it on the podcast before, that it's rumored that PPG Paints Arena was built on a Native American burial ground and that they're cursed because of it. I can neither confirm nor deny that speculation, but year after year this keeps happening. My God, it's exhausting. Through the first 30 games of the season in 2021, the Penguins are second in total man games lost in the National Hockey League with 160 which translates to about 437 man games lost over an 82-game season, which would be their second highest total in the last 29 years, which in 2013-2014 was number one, where they had 529 man games lost. That stats courtesy of the great Bob Grove. I'd love to get him on the podcast if at all possible. It would be awesome for me. Um, He's a Penguins historian. He just has ridiculous stats. Um, it seems like, you know, he just knows everything there is to know about Pittsburgh Penguins hockey uh, from the inception in 1967 all the way to present day. It's actually a shame, I think, and I'm not sure of the story, so I'm not going to speculate on what happened. But it's a shame to me that he's not not still on the postgame show after um, all the Penguins games on the radio. He was awesome. He just has so many cool little tidbits, and um, I would I would definitely recommend following him. Again, at BobGrove91, and you can hammer him with a couple of tweets, seeing if he'll come on the Rambling Brews podcast. I'd appreciate the hell out of that, but that's an unbelievable stat. So if you don't know what man games lost means, I'll sum it up quickly that they basically take all the injured players on each team and add up the number of scheduled games for that season that each of those players missed and then add that total all the way up and that would represent your total man games lost for a season. So again, as I mentioned, the Penguins, they've been leading the league for the last, you know, it seems like the last 30 years, but definitely through the Crosby era, they've had some times where they've been really beat up and it's a testament to the franchise, a testament to the development in the minor leagues. And a lot of these guys coming up and getting opportunities to play and and opportunities to shine, step into new roles. And it's really shown, um, you know, how great of an organization this is and the coaching staff, the coaching staff has been dealt impossible hands sometimes. And yeah, I know people can laugh and say, well, how could it be an impossible hand? You had Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, Chris Letang, Jordan Stahl, just to name a couple of the stars that they've had over the last 15 years, Phil Kessel. But a lot of the time, these main guys have been injured. I don't know anybody in the NHL 
over the last 10 years at least that's had more top and talent injuries than the Pittsburgh Penguins. And look what they've done. I've already rattled off their accomplishments. Um, but this year, like I said, they're second in the league in man games lost currently. In the past week alone, they've lost Teddy Bluger, who Teddy Bluger is one of the best bottom six centers in the NHL for my money. He's kind of on that uh, Brian Rust trajectory, if you ask me. Where Brian Rust came into the league, he added a lot of energy, finished his checks. He was defensively responsible, uh, fast as hell. Hockey IQ was off the charts. Um just came in and added a lot of energy to that 2016-2017 team, not necessarily on the score sheet because he didn't have a lot of finish. But last year, I believe he led the team in goals, um, and he's playing well, fitting very nicely up there on the line with Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby. Um, just an unbelievable player, and it's nice to see what he's become, and I think Teddy Bluger can do the same. Um, Teddy Bluger is one of the best penalty killers in the league, uh, along with this next guy, Brandon Tanev, who's also out. Um He's these guys are just crazy. Brandon Tanev, we talked about him. He's like a he's a better version of Hornquist in a sense where he's just fast as hell. Um, he's a pest. He's a pain in the ass. The other team hates to play him. He's always finishing his check. He's always mucking it up. He's having scrums after the whistle. He's face washing guys. He's getting in their face. All kinds of stuff. Just a, exactly the type of player you need on your team. And a lot of people hated on it whenever he was signed to a six year deal. But there's not one person in the city of Pittsburgh now that watches the Penguins that would tell you they're not happy with the way Brandon, uh, the way Brandon Tanev plays. And adding to that list now, the latest to join the IR is Evgeny Malkin. So Evgeny Malkin, we've talked about him a lot, right? Uh, from the inception of this podcast uh, three months ago, which is hard to believe. It's been three months we've been doing this Rambling Bruce podcast, but it's been a blast. But we've been talking about it since the first episode, the Evgeny Malkin. He needs to build on last year. He had a great year last year. I believe he had 72 points in 55 games last year, if my memory serves correct. And this year he came in and we've talked about it. He was ice cold. He was really fighting the puck, uh, just making stupid bonehead plays. You know, just mentally not there. I'm not sometimes I, I question the effort, uh, but I don't. I don't think that's the case. I just think he's so driven by his confidence, the way he plays. If he starts seeing the puck go in, um, he starts making plays, showing up on the score sheet, uh, getting assists, things like that. He's going to start playing better, and that's exactly what we've seen over the last nine games prior to his injury. He had 12 points. He was starting to buzz. He was starting to find his legs and look like the old Gino. And I was fired up because of it. But honestly, it's it's unfortunate because he goes out now, and then he's week to week. Uh, I believe it's a knee injury, and then you've got Teddy Bluger being out, which he's out long term. Uh, I haven't seen exactly what his injury is. The NHL they typically don't put that stuff out unless the reporters dig or you kind of saw what happened in the play. Um, but he's out long term, and Brandon Tanev, um, he, I think he's day to day. So I haven't seen anything further on that either. So we'll find out um, the next Penguins game, but. That having Malkin and having Bluger out, your second line center and your third line center, it really hinders the center ice position depth for the Penguins um, and on the power play because Evgeny Malkin's a huge factor on the power play. You really saw the center ice depth problem and the power play problem this past weekend um, in the Penguins games against the New Jersey Devils. I mean, the New Jersey Devils are a bottom feeder basement team. We they've got to beat these teams, and New Jersey uh, picked up two out of three wins against the Penguins. Now, granted, the Penguins did get a loser point in the third game, so they picked up three points um, on the series, a little mini series there. But they've got to do better against those bottom feeder teams, and it's going to be really difficult with these injuries. And hopefully, Malkin can get back. Hopefully, uh, Tanev gets back in the lineup, and Bluger gets back in the lineup. They've still got Jason Zucker out. Uh, I did see he's starting to skate a little bit um, on his own. He was dealing with that pretty bad uh, knee injury, it looked like, um, a couple weeks back. And so they're, they're starting to get a little bit healthy, hopefully over the next couple weeks, but they're really going to be tested um, until Malkin gets healthy because that Gensel-Crosby-Russ line I mentioned, they're buzzing 
unbelievable. Every night, Sidney Crosby makes an impact on the game. Every shift, every time he's out there, he does something positive um, for the, the team to get a victory. And he's really going to be tested because now the other team, I mean, not that he's never tested before. They always have the best defensive matchup and the best uh, checking forward matchup out against Crosby um, whenever they can. But now with no Malkin there and definitely like no secondary scoring without the third line and Bluger and Tanev, you know, they really, the other team really just has to worry about Crosby. Try to shut Crosby down as best as you can. If you can hold him to maybe a point or hold him off the score sheet and his line off the score sheet, you're going to win against Pittsburgh until they get their, their guys back. So this has happened before. I've mentioned we've been in this boat before. And if there's anybody, any bench boss in the national that can rally his team and do it, to me, it's Mike Sullivan. I think he should be in the conversation for the Jack Adams Award. He was in it, the conversation last year. I'm not sure if he was a finalist or how that turned out, who ended up winning it, but he definitely deserved to be a finalist last year. Um, sometimes those teams, or those coaches on teams with top-tier talent don't get enough notoriety, but Mike Sullivan, he, he definitely, in my opinion, deserves to be on the, on the ballot, at least right now at this point in the season, for the Jack Adams Award. If I had a ballot and I was a voter, uh, my top three for the Jack Adams, which, again, is the coach of the year, um, for those who aren't aware, uh, would be Jeremy Calden for Chicago. Um, unbelievable coach. He's very young. He might be the youngest coach in the NHL, um, but he's he's just turned that team around. I don't, I'm not really sure what's in the water in Chicago because we've talked about this. They are an absolute joke on paper. They've got a few high-end players, obviously Patrick Kane. Jonathan Taves has missed the whole season. Uh, Brent Seabrook just retired. Uh, Duncan Keith, he's playing okay, but he's still, you know, a little bit past his prime. They had big question marks in goal. They've gotten a, a great play uh, from Kevin Lankinen, the uh, rookie goaltender, and he's really rallied them into a threat for a playoff spot. So right now he's my front runner. Um, secondly, you got to go with Rod Brendamore, the bench boss down in Carolina. What a wagon the Carolina Hurricanes are, and it's like crazy for me to say that out loud because they've always kind of been. They won a Stanley Cup in 2006, but. And they had a couple playoff runs. They ran into a buzzsaw in um, Evgeny Malkin and the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009. They got swept and blown off the ice. It wasn't even close. But since then, they really haven't been a threat. Um, they did make the Eastern Conference Final a couple years ago, so they're starting to trend upward. But he's really got them playing well, and he looks like he's an awesome coach to play for. He's he's like the most serious guy, but he just seems like he's laid back, a real players coach, and he's still jacked too. Like he still, he probably looks better now than he did when he was playing, and he played for 17, 18 years, one of the best players in NHL history. Um, it's crazy because I think that might have a, a, a an impact on his team because his the way his team plays, like they they embody their coach, and their their coach is a like a bodybuilder. He's he works out, he's always on the ice working, and they kind of embody that. I think there's something to be said about that, and there's no knock on coaches. Um, and assistant coaches and management and things that are a little bit out of shape, but you're probably more likely to take. Um, you know, take criticism and take advice from a guy who's like in really good shape. Maybe I'm totally off on this. I feel like I've heard this argument before um, on other platforms and things like that. But I think it shows, you know, a lot about a, a team that they embody their coach and there's no better coach right now, I think, um, in the NHL than Rod Brendamore. He's really got the the Hurricanes buzzing. Um, and then Mike Sullivan, like I mentioned, the Penguins, Early in the season, they were dead in the water in terms of everybody around the league and all the experts. All the experts were saying, uh, this team, they might be done. They're not going to make the playoffs. I don't think really many of the people on NHL.com picked the Penguins to be a, a top four seed and make the playoffs out of the East Division. And they started off slow. They got beat pretty badly in the first two games by the Philadelphia Flyers. And a lot of people were thinking, uh-oh. Is this the time the Penguins are done now? And you've heard that before. Uh, 
back in 2015, 2016 mainly. Um, so I would never write this team off, but Mike Sullivan, he's got them playing well. Um, they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL right now up until this past weekend where they dropped two out of three against the New Jersey Devils we talked about. But I think he's definitely got to be up there in the top three for um, – the Jack Adams award and call me a homer all you want, but I watch the guy coach. I watch every game. Um, I watch a lot of games around the league and there's a lot of uh, coaches that are deserving. But right now at this point, I think that's my top three uh, for the Jack Adams award. So big swig of beer for those guys. They really have their teams buzzing and any of them would be um, fine with me that, that wins that award. Some other notes from around the NHL, Robin Leonard, the Vegas golden Knights goaltender, returned after missing about 17 games. He had a concussion. It didn't come out right away or while he was out. It was just an upper body injury. And unfortunately, these jabronis online and some people in the media had speculation because he's had problems with mental health issues in the past um, that he's been very outspoken about, uh, which I think is awesome, especially in the NHL. You don't really see that. And it's starting to be more prevalent in sports and just in society in general, and it needs to be. Um, But He's also had some some issues with substance abuse and things of that nature. So it's great to see him back. But people were starting to speculate that it was that and it wasn't a concussion. And I thought that was very unfortunate. And he came out and he addressed it. And he basically was saying, you know, it's it's a disgrace that people would think that, um, you know, they, they, this stigma against mental health needs to stop. Like, even if it was mental health, which it wasn't, it was a concussion. It shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be people questioning my ability to play and things like that. And I thought it was very admirable that he did so. Um, and it deserves to be talked about more. So big swig of beer for Robin Leonard. Welcome back to the NHL, man. Some trade speculation. Uh, just a couple of quick players I think are, are notable and potentially on the move. Jonathan Quick, the longtime Stanley Cup champion, uh, winning goaltender with the Los Angeles Kings, um, silver medalist with the United States hockey team back in 2010, and um, just an unbelievable goalie. One of the best American-born goalies of all time and one of the best goalies of the of the modern era of the NHL. Um, he's looking to potentially move, and I don't know if the team wants to move him or he's asked for a trade, but the Kings, are, they're in a in the playoff hunt, as we've talked about in the past, but they're they're not going to make a run. I mean, they're if they get in, they're going to get dummied in the first round, but they're not, they're not quite there yet. So I think it would be smart for the Kings to maybe move a guy like Quick to a team that's a contender and maybe acquire some assets back and build for the future. And that exactly looks like what's happening here. So uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are rumored to be in the hunt. And like I said, I've said this all the time. The Maple Leafs, the Rangers, the Flyers, all those teams seem to be the ones, and even the Penguins, you can throw them in there. They always seem to get mentioned whenever there's like a big guy on the trade block or there's a star, you know, a star free agent coming or something like that. But I mean, I don't know why would why would the Leafs want Jonathan Quick? I know maybe Fred, Frederick Anderson, he's been banged up a little bit, but he's a good goaltender. And I'm not sure how they can make it work cap wise, uh, what they'd have to give up to get him. Um, as far as assets and things like that. So something to keep an eye on there. But if if they can add quick, they've got a great goalie tandem heading into the playoffs in the North Division there, that which they're already um, leading right now. And we'll get to it in a minute. They're a little bit of a slide over the last week or so. Another player on the trade block, potentially Ryan Ellis. So we've talked about the Nashville Predators and how they're having a real down year. And they're great on the blue line. And they're loaded at that position with Yossi and Matias Ekholm and Ryan Ellis. And in past years, Ryan Ellis has been known as almost an untouchable in terms of uh, trades and being on the trade block that they were never going to move on from him. And I've seen what, you know, I've even said the Penguins should inquire uh, about him over the past couple of years because he's a great player, a great stay at home defenseman. And he could definitely be serviceable to some of the top contending teams. And Elliot Friedman, the great reporter for Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, 
um, mentioned that Philadelphia is one of the teams that have inquired and potentially could be a landing spot for Ellis. So that would be a big boost to their their blue line. But it's been rumored that uh, Ivan Proveroff, the young defenseman for the Flyers, who I think has a bright future and is a pretty good player right now, uh, could be going the other way. So I'm not sure if I'm Philly, I would make that move because they're pretty comparable, especially since you look at the upside of Proveroff. He's so much you know younger than Ellis. I, I don't know. I That's just... That's my philosophy, but something to keep an eye on there with Ryan Ellis and and Jonathan Quick, like we said. So those two guys right now seem to be the cream of the crop in terms of the trade speculation around the league. Another guy that wants to be traded is Patrick Marlowe. So he's a San Jose Shark forward. He wants to win a cup. So he was in Pittsburgh last year. Before that, he was in um, Toronto. He spent a long time in San Jose. He's, He's starting to like... I don't know. He, he's starting to jump around a little bit. He's he's cup hunting, and he wants his chance. I mean, this guy has played 1,752 games in the NHL. He only needs 16 more to pass Gordie Howe for most all-time played, which is crazy because Gordie Howe, I think when he did it, was 52 years old. He was he was on a line in a game when he played for the Hartford Whalers, who are now the Carolina Hurricanes, but the Hartford Whalers at the time in Hartford, Connecticut, he played on a line with his two sons. I don't know if it was like a legit game or it was a preseason game or whatever, but he had he was playing center, I believe, and he had each of his two sons on e- either side, left wing and right wing. I thought that was always pretty cool. But again, he was 52 years old when he retired. Patrick Marlowe, I'm not sure exactly what his age is. He's got to be like in his you know, 43, 42, somewhere in there. But this guy, like I said, he's played 1,752 games in the NHL. He's been the one Stanley Cup final, the one of which he got dummied by the Penguins back in 2016. And... I think, honestly, that if you've been in the league that long and you haven't won, there's probably a reason for that. Maybe that's harsh, but I think, you know, there's probably a reason that Patrick Marlowe is not a Stanley Cup champion. He's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure what he can add now. I mean, he went to Toronto. I thought it was smart for Toronto to get him, add some veteran leadership there with that young group, and maybe that's what he's looking for now, but he's he probably just wants to go to Tampa or wants to go to Vegas, and I don't know. I just think like it's it's starting to get annoying to me that Patrick Marlowe just keeps jumping around. Jerome McGinley did the same thing when he was a longtime Calgary Flame. Then he jumped over to the Penguins. Then he went to Boston. Then he went to Colorado. And then he eventually retired. It's just like, I don't know. I think there's something to be said. And I've talked about before, staying on one team. But we'll see what happens with Patrick Marlowe and see what the Sharks are willing to do with him. Because they just, they just keep signing him back. It's crazy. They traded him to Toronto. Then he, Toronto traded him to Carolina, who Carolina bought him out. Then San Jose re-signed him again. San Jose traded him to Pittsburgh. And then Pittsburgh just let his contract expire. And then this past summer, San Jose signed him back again. So I don't know what in the blue hell San Jose is doing. If they're trying to do favors for longtime uh, members of their franchise but I don't think that's the way to go so we'll see what happens with Marlowe um, here over the next couple weeks prior to the April 12th trade deadline and speaking of the San Jose Sharks I think it's a perfect time to send it over to my interview with my buddy Ray as he's a closet Sharks fan so I hope you all enjoy this Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the Rambling Brews podcast a man that many people have been asking me to bring back on since his first legendary appearance a man that's been training throughout the pandemic and getting in tip-top shape for the upcoming Beer League ice hockey season, and a man who coined one of my new favorite drinks, the Fancy Penguin, my big brother Ray. Welcome back to the podcast, man. How's it going? What's up, Timmy Two Times? I feel un- <laughs> unworthy of that introduction. And the term tip-top shape is definitely relative for Beer League. Uh, definitely top 5% fitness in Ice Castle C Major Beer League, but that's not really saying much. 
Oh, you're much uh, better off in that field than me, for sure. Trust me. I've just been crushing beers throughout the pandemic, so uh, I, I got a lot of work to do, and hopefully we'll get a couple weeks of uh, fake training camp here to, to get back into shape. <laughs> you don't have to skate that hard when you have silky mitts like you do, though. So, you know, I got to do what I got to do to... Uh... To put up the kind of production I need. Well, I appreciate that, but I, I could definitely use some work there. But, uh, dude, I, I wanted to mention you're the first recurring guest in Rambling Brews podcast history. history uh, highly requested, man. How's that make you feel? That's a big honor, I'd say. Eh? <laughs> it feels really good. It's probably one of my biggest achievements so far in 2021. I appreciate you having me back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a blast last time. Uh, I know last time I said, um, or I, I think I tried a beer from uh, Spoonwood uh, Brewing Company here that was recommended by our buddy John Henderson, and um, you had that's when you were talking about your fancy penguin, which I think is what uh, Kettle One vodka and like sparkling water or uh, maybe seltzer water. Pellegrino, oh yeah, or, or seltzer water if you if you can't find Pellegrino water, but yeah, yeah, I think you mentioned it was like Giant Eagle uh, flavored, which is one of my favorites to be honest. For anybody in the in the Pittsburgh area, or I guess the tri-state area. Um, for Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, Giant Eagles, like you can get like three liters of uh, that drink for like two bucks. It's awesome. I, that's one of my favorite seltzer waters I've ever had. Got a little upgrade to that recently. They have that bubbly water. There's a peach one that's absolutely fantastic. It tastes like those peach rings I used to eat. That was like half my diet back in college. Yeah, I've only had the, uh, I think the strawberry or black cherry of the, uh, of the bubblies, but I'll have to try that because it sounds good. And I do enjoy the fancy penguin uh, every now and then when I'm off the beer a little bit. Um, but we did, in this case, we did pick up the same beer. This is the first Rambling Brews uh, beer tasting as well, where the guest and myself both have the same beer. Uh, we picked up a new Belgium Voodoo Ranger IPA. Um, you were mentioning before we came on that the can looks pretty cool. So it's like a, it's got like a skull and like a guy and like, um, I don't know if it's a Sergeant Slaughter army looking hat or something <laughs> like that. It looks like he's got like a World War II bomber jacket on. And he's got this, the aviation scarf and everything. And he has one of those uh, Evgeny Malkin hats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's the pro- a lot of these IPAs have really cool bottles. I mean, you got you to put a lot of cool stuff on the bottle to try to get people to buy it if your beer tastes like crap. But hey, we're going into this. We're going <laughs> into mind. this with a blank. Yeah, an open mind and a blank slate. So we're going to crack this open right now and try it. Yeah, let's do it. You know the rules. It's uh, out of five stars. Um, I'll mention that it's uh, 7% alcohol. It's brewed by um, Wait, New Belgium. Wait, yours says 7%? Mine does say 7%. Mine says 9% on it. New Belgium (laughs) Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. I also have a tall can. It's 19.2 ounces. Uh, See, I'm I'm on a uh, 12-ounce can here, so I I don't know if that makes a difference, but it's (laughs) the exact same beer, so maybe one one of us is being lied to here. (laughs) Let me crack this. I actually went to New Belgium um, down in Asheville, North Carolina, a couple years ago. I don't know if that's the only place that they brew it. They probably have something out in Colorado. That's where most other beers are, but um, it was actually pretty good. Like I got, we got a flight of beer down there and uh, my wife and I really enjoyed it. Like it was a pretty cool scene. I think my, one of my sister's friends recommended it. So I've definitely got um, high expectations here. Cause I have had some new Belgium. Like I said, that's pretty good, but I've never had voodoo Ranger and IPAs are typically scare me a little bit in terms of, you never know what the hell kind of taste you're going to get. So I'm going to take my first sip here. All right. I'll let the guest have his honor. The guest goes first, but it's not too bad, I would say. I was just going to say, it's not bad at all. It kind of tastes a little bit like the Southern Tier two-times IPA. Yeah, exactly. Which is probably my favorite one, not because I'm a big IPA guy, but because John Henderson always brings those over and leaves them at my house. So <laughs> This is definitely, I would say it's probably the best one I've had so far on the, on the uh, podcast. I'm going to give this 
Uh, 3.4 out of 5. 3.4 out of 5, strong score. I'm going to go a little bit higher, actually. I'm going to say 3.6. Oh, wow. um, I think it's pretty good. It doesn't have, like, a bitter aftertaste. You that's... have the 7% one, and I have the 9% one, so that's probably... Because mine has a bit of an aftertaste. That might be the extra 2% in there. <laughs> so, you're... hey, I'm lying to the listeners out there, because I thought we had the same beer, which I'm pretty sure we do, but I'm not sure how they could be different alcohol uh, content percentages, but, yeah, this one definitely doesn't have... I don't want to say it doesn't have an aftertaste because they all do, but it doesn't have a horrible aftertaste, like where it's you're almost like taking down cough syrup a little bit. I would, <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not sure I'd buy this again. Um, I got swindled into a six pack because they didn't have the single cans, but um, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd buy it again. But I, I, overall, I think it's pretty enjoyable. Anybody that likes IPAs, I'd recommend it to you. Um, or if somebody gave this to me, um, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely drink it. I think some of these, like the last couple episodes that I've tried these on. Um, different IPAs. I'm starting. I'm not coming around to IPAs, but I like. I'm, they're almost becoming more tolerable. Some of them are just god awful, but like this one, <laughs> it, it's, well, it's definitely acquired taste. And if you, I mean, if you're knocking out one of these a week, by the end of the summer, you might be loving these things. Who knows? <laughs> Let's not go that far. I got. I, I got to get. Hold on. I learned up my lesson too from uh, a couple of episodes back. You always got to have a old steady cold cores light there to cleanse the palate. I have the exact same thing here. So cheers. What have you been up to, man? Like, as far as the weather's getting nicer and everything around here in Western Pennsylvania, it'll last for six weeks out of the year, and um, that's about it. But what have you been up to? Mostly, besides work, uh, my fiance is doing school, so she does that most nights, and I just hang out with my dog, uh, Ziggy Poffy, which is also a nice transition <laughs> into our, our favorite hockey name. Yeah, that's right. My, we got a dog this September, and I just hang out with him all day. We've, we've been hitting up... Uh, the dog park over in South Park or wandering around the neighborhood. Can't complain. Kind of sick of being stuck inside, but I actually just got my second COVID shot on Friday, so I'm ready to get back out there. Oh, you're buzzing, man. I can't even get on the list, but that'll be a, that'll be a different uh, discussion for a different day, but that's awesome for you to get that. First time ever that being a type 1 diabetic got me something good. So they- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that underlying condition really set <laughs> foot you over the top. hookup. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's funny you mentioned that uh, Ziggy Poffy. What an unbelievable name for a dog. Uh, I think we should get right into that. We were going to talk about, because last time you were on, you you rattled off a couple names. Uh, I think it was like Nino Niederreiter, Rasmus Ristolainen, and I mentioned uh, Vladimir Konstantinov, and just a couple of random hockey names. So we said on the next time you're on, the next appearance, we're going to talk about our top five um, names in the sport of hockey, it, like our favorite names, not necessarily the, the overall consensus of everybody, but what our favorite top five names are, maybe a few honorable mentions. So before we dive into that, I didn't know if, if you wanted to do sports names in general or just hockey. So I wrote down and put three stars next to it. Dikembe Mutombo could potentially <laughs> be the greatest name in sports history. Dude, I actually but, um, met him in an airport. I think it was no. in yeah, I think it was in Atlanta. I was with my dad. I was a kid. He's the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. I'm not sure exactly how tall he is. I want to say he's got to be like 7'3", seven, 7'2". Seven, Maybe not quite that tall, but it just in terms of like normal height, um, average human beings, he was enormous. And like, he was just like the coolest guy ever. Just real calm, real nice. He stopped and signed a bunch of autographs for everybody. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. But it's so funny you say that because, yeah, he's always, he was on that Geico commercial too a couple of years ago for people who don't follow like 90s basketball. 
Uh, but he would like jump out. I think it was Geico or some commercial like that. He'd jump out of nowhere and like swat shit away. From I was people. just gonna say no, you should have no, told people no. that when, <laughs> when you were you were trying to throw something out and he came out of nowhere, swatted it away, and did the finger wag. <laughs> no, he was the most in- intimidating person on the planet, dude. It was like uh, my dad and I like t- uh, met him and like talked to him for a second and got his autograph. But um, it, yeah, you're, he was. You're what six three? So someone being a foot taller than you, it's not something you see very often. Right, and granted, I was younger at this time, so I was like a little, I was like ten or twelve, so I was I was much smaller, but still, like I was like, how can he be that tall? And how in the fuck does anybody defend this guy in the NBA? Because he's just his head almost hits the rim. It looks like if he just like takes a bunny hop. But that's hilarious that you mentioned that. No, I I was talking just um hockey names, but if you got any any others, I'd be glad to hear them because I think it'll be entertaining for the listeners. If some of these are just ridiculous names, and not I'm not I don't mean that in an offensive way, just. <laughs> Just crazy names for for people. I got a couple I, here. I never use the term ridiculous as a bad thing. Like it's a. <laughs> well, I mean that in a sense of I'll, I'll give a, I'll give an honorable mention now before we get into the list because I didn't put this on the list. But there was an NHL player. I believe he played in the forties. I want to say he played for the Red Wings. No shit, Ray. His name was Harry Dick. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> like that's amazing. H a r r y Dick. Like what the f- like his parents must have just been trolling for sure, but. I uh I didn't include him on the list, but I, I had to mention that one with when it comes to ridiculous names. But go ahead, give your give your number five, and we'll go from there. This might be my number one overall, but I'm just gonna say it before you take it, Darius Casperitis. Oh man, yep, that was on my list for was sure. It had to be, yeah, especially fighting that that sliding goal he scored. Everyone from Pittsburgh remembers that. Oh yeah, guy, guy had one goal in sixty games or something like that, and it was in the playoffs and overtime, and what gives him sliding on his chest. I loved him when I was a kid, man. And I, the three things I remember is that sliding goal you were talking about um, when he laid Eric Lindros the fuck out. Um, unfortunately, knocked Eric Lindros out and changed his career and everything. But and then when one of he, many people to lay Eric Lindros out, yeah, incredible talent, couldn't keep his head up. Right, and um, and then I was too little, but ninety three, he scored the. I think the game seven winner um, in overtime against the Penguins for the Islanders, whenever they knocked off the Penguins in one of the biggest upsets um, in hockey history. So that's like three of the big things I remember about Casparitis. All right, I'll go with I'll go with mine. Um, a more recent player, um, he played for the Penguins for a little bit. I think he's probably playing in Europe somewhere now. I'm not too sure, but Luca Caputi. Ooh. That was a good. He was supposed to be a big power forward. He wore number thirty nine, I think. I if think I remembered did, yeah. that off the top of my head, that's absurd. But that is my <laughs> number. So let me see, Luca Caputo. Yeah, he yeah, wore thirty nine he... for the Benz. Wow, what a memory that is! My God, I wish yeah. my brain saved like important information instead of just below average hockey players' numbers because there's a lot of space <laughs> wasted in there with that. Well, yeah, he came in with like a lot of hype, and people were like, "Oh fuck, we just got Luca Caputi. Like he's gonna come in and change the game," and then. He just ended up puttering and not doing much. He showed some signs and some flashes of brilliance, but other than that, it was like, like I said, he's he wasn't even in the league. He might he might be in the American Hockey League or he's over in Europe or in the KHL, just making tax free money over there. All right, next one. Um, I'm gonna take another one. This this also arguably the number one name of all time, but I'm just gonna take it before you do. Miroslav Shitan. Oh, you fucker! Yeah, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> also, it just. Made so much better by the fact that anyone who's listening to this, go ahead and Google Miroslav Shatan. His last name is spelled just like Satan, S-A-T-A-N. And he looks pure evil in every one of his pictures. He's got like a unibrow, like the widow's peak, everything. <laughs> just perfect name to match what he looks like. And there's a little funny Easter egg. If you look up his player 
card on NHL.com. It is player number 666. So somebody had a, a blast putting that together. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah, my dad, till this day, still, he's like, I refuse to call him Shatan. He's Miroslav Satan. And I don't care what anybody says. But I'm like, I don't give a shit as long as he's scoring goals for the Penguins in the 09 <laughs> run. He um, can do whatever who, he's got to do. Who did he fight whenever we dummied Carolina? I can't remember who it was, but he just—he didn't—he didn't fight much in his career, and it was—it was that that series that Gino took over himself. I just yeah. remember Shatan got in; someone was hurt or suspended, and he came in and just—he's like, you know what? I'm going to help the team any way I can. He just—he ruined someone. Yeah, I have yeah, no but, idea. It's probably like Ray Whitney or like Matt, Matt Cullen was on that team. You know the goal uh, where Malkin wins the faceoff forward and does the backhand or short side for the hat trick. Oh my god! Yeah, he, he yeah, won I, that faceoff against Matt Cullen. He went—he went forward on Matt Cullen. So. I always thought that was funny because uh, Cullen ended up being a pretty integral part for the Penguins in their back-to-back runs. But Back uh, in the day, you, got, you used yeah. to have ringtones and text messages. I had Mike Lang's goal call, uh, call for that for years. And he, oh, Cam Ward just lost his liquor license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and side note, it's, it's sad that um, with COVID and everything, uh, Mike Lang hasn't been calling the game. So hopefully, hopefully he's already gotten his vaccine and, uh, maybe he can come back at some point here, if not at some point this year, hopefully next year, and, and get back in the uh, the radio booth because that guy, man, unbelievable. Electric, the way that he could just paint a picture. I've actually, um, with so many games on, there's a, there's a Pens game on almost every other night. There's been a few times over the last month or two that I've listened to the radio broadcast for a period, either you know lifting weights in the basement or doing something in the backyard, and... They've been doing a great job with that, but I miss hearing Mike Lang's voice. To me, he's always going to be the voice of hockey in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. It, it's, I mean, and, and Steve Mears, who's on TV, for those who aren't uh, Penguins fans or don't live in the area or don't watch the games, uh, Steve Mears is the TV uh, play-by-play announcer, him and Bob Airy. Impossible shoes to fill, man. Impossible. Uh, but my second choice on the list is um, Jonathan Chichu. So Jonathan Ooh. Chichu's... I think just one of the most unbelievable names. He was actually a pretty solid player. He played a long time for the San Jose Sharks. He had one year where he scored 50 goals, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I think Danny Heatley might have been. Was Heatley on the team? I can't remember, but uh, because he had 50 in 07. I'm pretty sure the guy that has the fake Danny Heatley Twitter on uh, on Twitter, his <laughs> the at is 50 in 07. It's classic. But uh, yeah, Jonathan Chichu, one of my favorite names in, in all of sports. It's a great one. All right, I'm up again. I'm going to go with, so this is my third pick, Dmitry Yuskevich. Jesus. <laughs> Where'd you pull that for, one out of? <laughs> defenseman for the Maple Leafs. I don't remember. I, I might have been, I remember hearing it as a Mike Lang call as a kid, just the way that Dmitry Yuskevich. Uh, <laughs> I also like the, uh, the, the parallel names. You have three syllables up front and back. It just it kind of rolls off the tongue. It's good. I haven't heard that name in, my God, it's been 10 years at least. And I don't even know when he retired. Um, moving another, to my another real nasty looking guy, <laughs> big bald, scary looking, you know. <laughs> Dude, that's like that's like a prerequisite for some of these guys in the NHL. Most of them are just, especially like older players, like back in different eras when it was just more, um, you know, people were just mucking it up in front of the net and just fighting and all that stuff. It was much more physical and less skilled than oh, it yeah. is today. Oh, there yeah. was just like those guys all had just ridiculous names and just ridiculous looks. I'll move on. I'll move on to my next one. I've got a current player in the NHL. Uh, New York Rangers centerman Mika Zibanejad. Oh, um, fantastic! I just, yeah, I love that name. Um, I forget. I think it's um, Kenny Albert. He's the announcer. He, he calls on NBC uh, a little bit. I think he's actually is he Marv Albert's son, like the legendary NBA announcer Mar- Marv Albert. 
I think oh, it I is, know. but he's um he's the Rangers like play by play guy. But when the way he says Mikasa Benajad, like it's it's awesome. The one uh, go look it up on YouTube. Anybody that hasn't seen it, when uh Zabinajad last year had five goals against the um Capitals. He scored the the game winner in overtime for his fifth goal. And Kenny Albert's going insane. One of the best names to to call for sure for an announcer. But I mean, he's a great freaking player too, dude. Like he's he's unreal. He's kind of like. He was an Ottawa Senator, and they actually traded uh, the Rangers traded Derek Brassard to the Senators for Mika Zibanejad. So talking about just getting bent over for a trade, the the Rangers pick up <laughs> Zibanejad, a top centerman in the NHL, and Brassard's been a on like three or four teams since then. Um, just hasn't really found a home, but Zibanejad always one of my favorite uh, favorite names in the league for sure. All right, my next one, I'm going with a Swedish player. This is a guy that he played before you and I were fans. Um, I think he retired when I was younger, but uh, I remember hearing the name and just cracking up every time I heard it. Hacken Lube. Hacken Lube. <laughs> H-A-K-A-N-L-O-O-B. It just like it just looks at uh, seeing the lube on the back with the L-O-O-B. And the A had like a um it's not an it's an umlaut is the two dots in German. I'm not sure what it actually is in Swedish Swedish. It is just an A with a little circle over it, which always adds to the name, I think. So that's my next pick. That's that's amazing. That's actually a perfect segue to my next pick because it had the little umlauts above it. I think it's uh, P E R is the how you say it, like how you spell the first name. But it has like the umlaut or whatever the Swedish version is. But the guy's name is Pear Juice. <laughs> like his last name is uh, D J O O S. Yeah. So <laughs> Pear Juice. I think he played in like the '60s or something like that. Pear but, Juice. That's but, amazing. Uh, yeah, I actually have his I have his hockey card. That's how I know that. And then I um uh, I but I haven't thought of that name forever. And then I like Googled like oh, I'm like one of the like some crazy name I'm forgetting. And then I saw that and I remembered I have his hockey card at home and I was like, I got he's gotta be in my top five for sure. <laughs> that just made me think of uh we love Joe Thornton and he always played with PJ Axelson, whose name was actually Per Johan. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, like, how many goals per Johan tonight? You know, just like it's so stupid, but it Per Johan. So, yeah, he went by PJ. All right, is this, is this my last pick now? Yeah, I think so. I have to go with, um, I think he's retired now, um, but he was played in the league for a long time. He won, I know he won Stanley Cups with Chicago. Johnny Oduya. Oh, what a name. What a player, too. <laughs> it's one of those ones, too, that every single time I'd hear the announcer say it, I'd be like in the other room, like getting a drink or something like that, and I'd hear uh, pass it to Oduya. I'd have to yell out Oduya, like have like a, a bit of a tick. I couldn't help it. I still can't every time I hear it. <laughs> uh, dude, Johnny Oduya, he he's he had a great career. Career won a couple Stanley Cups in Chicago. Um, but yeah, great, unbelievable name, unbelievable guy too. From everything I've seen and heard and read, that he's a a great teammate, great player. So I, I can't you can't go wrong with that one uh, for your for your top pick. And then uh, for mine. I'm going to go to the crease in the net. I'm going to go Ron Tugnut. Ron Tugnut. Ron Tugnut, one of the better <laughs> names in, uh, in NHL history for sure in, in, as far as goaltenders go. And honestly, the, dude, there's so many that you could go through. Um, a couple of honorable mentions I had were uh, Rob Klinkhammer. Um, That's a good one. He played uh, for the Pens for a couple of games, I think. Yeah, he had a cup of coffee in Pittsburgh, and then they shipped him out when they realized he couldn't play worth a shit. Um, Zarly Zalapsky. Oh, yeah. Another Penguin. Uh, another Penguin. Um and then current player uh, Miko Rantanen I always like I like the Avalanche and we'll get to that in a minute here in terms of some of our our mistress teams in the NHL but uh, finish names are all all fantastic yeah they're unreal last time let me read off a couple of my yeah uh, 
Oh, Stu Barnes, just because I used to love yelling Stu as loud as you could. Dude, yeah, that I, was an amazing I, one. another story. Uh, I met Stu Barnes when I was a kid. So my older sister was an intern for the Penguins in the late 90s. Oh, yeah. And after the games, like when I would go, I used to get to go in the locker room. I didn't go into the dressing room part, but like right where they were walking out to the their cars and all that. And you got to sit there and I met like Yarmer Yager and Ian Moran and a bunch of guys like that. And Stu Barnes actually have a signed stick. Um of Stu Barnes, it's like on a goalie stick, like one of those Penguins giveaway sticks they gave away at the game. Like whenever you were kids, you used to go, and the kids would, everybody under like the age of thirteen would get like a stick or whatever. So I have that, and it's funny because my daughter always wants to play with it because she likes to bat the puck around, and she's gonna be shooting top cheese here pretty soon. But she, uh, I'm always, I'm always, no, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't touch that stick. Stu Barnes signed that. He's got a, (laughs) he's got a couple legendary goals too in different. uh, He played for Pittsburgh for a while, but he also. Florida? Um, I think he was in Florida for a while. Yeah, he played in Buffalo whenever they lost to Dallas in the Stanley Cup final on that controversial in the Brent crease. Brent Hall was standing in the crease? Yeah. Yeah, he scored in that game to tie it just before that, I think, because it ended up going to, like, triple overtime. Uh, but, yeah, what a player. What a name, too. I'm glad you brought him up. I love those, um, the random players that you have autographed things for. I found one. I was digging through some of my old stuff, like my uh, I got from my mom's house from when I was a kid. And for whatever reason I have, uh, it's like, What's a standard sheet of paper? Eight and a half by 11? It's a, a picture. It took me a while to figure out who it was of Dmitry Moranov. I have no idea why, but I have an autographed Dmitry Moranov picture. And I also, I also have one that says, Happy Birthday, um, from Mike Tomzak. Mike Tomzak. So I have both of those. those both of those are going to be <laughs> clearly worth a lot of money someday. You know, autographed Dmitry Moranov, and then one that says, Happy Birthday, Ray, from Mike Tomzak. Mike Tomzak, dude, not a name I probably ever thought I would ever hear again in my life. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, that was a lot of fun, dude. A, a great list, and I think we could, like I said, we can go on and on and on. Um, I'd love anybody out there that that's um, you know, listening to to text me or tweet me or anything at Rambling Brews on Twitter if you have any other names that are just hilarious because there's so many of them. Like you see that a lot. You're just watching a a hockey game mainly, or you like say you're watching the Olympics or you're watching the World Juniors tournament or something. And you see like Team Russia, Team Finland, and guys that you haven't heard of, and you're like, what a name. I mean, even like Americans um, now just have, you know, just, just awesome names. Hockey is definitely known for the, the sport that has some of the best names, uh, for sure. Uh, but we did talk about it, and I mentioned it a second ago. I wanted to talk about too. Um, so I grew up, obviously, Ray and I both grew up huge Pittsburgh Penguins fans, still are to this day, and we'll, I'm, sh- I'm sure certainly will be until the day we die. Um, but... Do you have any like mistress teams that like maybe in the NHL you like watching or you root for that aren't the Penguins, maybe in a different conference or different division, whatever it is? Do you have anything like that? Or even it could be even just, you know, um, different players on different teams that you root for. Yeah, there's always a few guys I like. I mean, a lot of times when someone leave the pens on, a, on good terms, I'll be a fan of them for a while and kind of check out what they're doing. For me, um, it's weird. Like I'm different with hockey than I am with any other sport. Like I watch I watch the NFL mainly for my fantasy team, and I can kind of cheer for players throughout. But I hate every other team that isn't the Penguins, just because I'm so much more invested. Uh, That being said, the teams that I tend to also like are the ones that we don't play much. So like this year, since we're in, you know, we're only playing within our division, there's probably more teams that I've been watching that I've been getting a lot more enjoyment about than than I would normally. So um the, there's two teams that the mistress teams we talked about one of them was i think i brought up in the last one was the sharks i think like they came into the league when i was a kid and i've never seen a team with that 
that kind of colors before. Really cool stuff. Um, I liked Owen Nolan a lot, I mentioned. Um, and then the other one was when Lemieux got retired for the first time, when he couldn't play, I just remember being so bummed out when he retired that I kind of started checking out the rest of the league too. And at that time, the Red Wings were absolutely stacked. And it's so funny that you say you like Colorado because um, I remember just watching every time that the Red Wings would play the Avalanche, it was an absolute bloodbath. There were some of those games, like the score would be 7-6 and like the goalies would fight. I remember Mike Vernon fighting uh, Wah and then like uh, just the, the whole Claude Lemieux thing. So I picked the opposite side of you. I picked the Red Wings <laughs> um, just because I knew like, like that rivalry was intense and I wanted to kind of have a cheering interest in one of them. Uh, so for me, it was like the 97, 98 Red Wings right after Lemieux retired. I watched that team a lot and they were absolutely stacked in NHL as well. So I'd always kind of pick them. So that, <laughs> that, that was definitely the team for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely understand the, the, the like you said, the Red Wings and the Avalanche. That, so the Avalanche moved to Colorado from Quebec in, I think, 96. They ended up winning the Stanley Cup that first year. So talk about being a Quebec fan. Your fucking team leaves and then they win the Stanley Cup. They were those loaded. Old, those old Nordiques jerseys are some of the coolest jerseys in NHL, NHL history, too. Yeah, it might be the best jersey in, in all sports. Um, and they brought it back a little bit this year with the reverse retro with the Avs colors. They're awesome. But, yeah, dude, the Red Wings, that team was unreal. And like you mentioned with Claude Lemieux, that Darren Riccardi incident. Um, if you haven't seen that, please just go YouTube it and, um, you know, just take a look at, like, some of these like the way hockey used to be was insane like you said mike vernon and patrick wall would go at it every game like the guys were just it was an absolute bloodbath that was one of the the biggest rivalries in sports and it kind of sucks now man because i mean fortunately for detroit for travel reasons it makes sense for them to be in the eastern conference but now they only play colorado twice a year now so like it's before they were in the same division and they were and they were battling man they were beating the shit out of each other they were two of the best teams in the league and they were just, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the Avs had, um, they had Sackick and Forsberg and Milan Hayduk and Tangay. And then on the, um, on the Red Wings side, it was uh, Fedorov and Iserman. And then they had uh, Nick Lidstrom. So, like, it was some of the best players in the league on both teams. And it was kind of fun to watch as not, like, a true fan of either team. Because I remember watching them, and like I guess I kind of picked the Red Wings, but I didn't really care who won. I just wanted to cheer for a seven-six game with a bunch of fights, you know. And it was just yeah. an absolute blast watching them back then. Dude, honestly, I'm so disappointed in myself for my top five uh, names that we just went through. That we just talked about. You mentioned some of the players for the Avs and some for the Red Wings. That I forgot about uh, Avalanche great Sandus Ozilinch. What an Ooh, unbelievable name! He played for the Sharks name. too. He was on yeah. the Sharks team. When I, yeah, well, he might. He might. I honestly should have had him at number one, probably. But Sandus Ozilinch. But you're right, dude. That team, and that was before the salary cap. So the salary cap for anybody that's not aware that didn't come into play until after the lockout in 2005, 2006. So that's why, like the Penguins in the nine, like the early 90s, they had like nine Hall of Famers on the team. And that Red Wings team you're talking about, and same with the Avalanche, they had like seven, eight Hall of Fame players on the team. Nick Lidstrom was young. Uh, Datsuk was kind of a third liner on that team. That's um, nuts, right? Yeah. Stevie Iserman, like Fedorov, just unbelievable matchups every time. Shanahan they played. played for them for a bit, I think. Um, yeah, Chris Chelios. Chelios. Larry yeah. Murphy played for them at one point yeah. um, in that same era. Lidstrom, Lidstrom was the player that I, I just remember watching him and thinking, talking about, you know, playing NHL a lot growing up. He played like a video game character, but like set on the hardest difficulty. The thing that he used to do that, you know, when teams go to dump the puck in, 
and he'd knock it out of the air and pass it back out. Like people, you can't do that. You shouldn't be able to. He just had these next level hand-eye coordination. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I kind of also liked the Red Wings up until 2008, that heartbreaking loss to them in the finals. And then, you know, that's, Part of it made that Stanley Cup win so much more sweet in 2009. The puck came to Lidstrom, who's I just mentioned is a video game character, automatic, and I, I'm like, oh, he's going to score here. And then Flurry just dives completely across the street, the the crease with his arms pinned to his side and stopped that puck. I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, that was. I mean, that's one of the most iconic moments in Stanley Cup playoff history for sure. And that that was crazy too because I'm not sure you'll ever see that again. Um, it was almost like the and I hate saying that because you never know what's going to happen in the future, but it was the Red Wings. They were on like the, they were exiting being the dynasty, right? And then the Penguins were on the verge of the dynasty. They were basically, and I know the announcers during that series in both years said it, that the Penguins were an East uh, Eastern Conference version of the Red Wings. Like they were such carbon copies of each other. They had great high-end talent, but great depth. They just played as a unit. Good goaltending. The the, the two elite forwards, it was Zetterberg and Datsuk on one side and, and, Crosby and Malkin on the other side too. Very similar. You know, you had Lidstrom, you had Gonchar. Dude, just unbelievable. And I, I remember I was similar to you, dude. I, like, so I, I, I gravitate, uh, gravitate towards players too in the league. Like I said, my mistress team is the Avalanche, but I loved uh, Zetterberg. Uh, he was one of my favorite players to watch. I, I, all, you know, up until 08, 09, obviously I wanted him to go scoreless and do nothing. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but like you couldn't he, keep he's that a hard guy player off the score sheet. He's a hard player to hate though. That's it was too. Cause like they were, Two of the cleaner players ever, they wouldn't, which was surprising. They didn't get physical, but like it was amazing because they never got hit either because they were just their Datsuk's hands were so good and Zetterberg's acceleration was just absolutely absurd. So yeah, they were definitely fun to watch. Yeah, I mean Henrik Zetterberg, one of the biggest man rockets in NHL history. <laughs> he, he was, I mean, and all the Swedes are just good looking guys. They're great at hockey. It's crazy, but that might be um, another discussion. <laughs> Top five man rockets. <laughs> the hottest guys. Of, you got to put Patrick Sharp up there. You know who's not on that list is Evan Rodriguez. <laughs> oh, you're burying Captain, the guy. Captain Dangles himself, Evan Rodriguez. Yeah, he scored one goal, and now he's in the he's on the top power play. But that's a that's a different. Uh, I mean, there's some injuries, but still, my God, they got seven or eight options on the bench that they could put out there. But that's a different discussion for a different day, dude. We, we could have a whole podcast of. Who's the hottest? It's Chris Letang. The answer is Chris Letang. It's always oh, yeah. going to be Chris Letang. The winter soldier himself. He's fantastic. Dude, my grandfather today, he's like, Letang's got to cut his hair. He's real old school. I was like, I was like, no, Pat, he man, he's got, he's got like better hair than most of the you know women in the world. Like his hair is perfect. And he's, he doesn't, he just uses head and shoulders. I'm pretty sure I use head and shoulders and my hair doesn't look like that. See, I assumed that Chris Letang was using some kind of fancy French, you know, imported. no, they've asked him. Uh, I remember he was on, uh, they always do, I don't know if they do it anymore because of COVID, but they used to do like when you play in Canada on like the West Coast trip, like the, you know, when it's like whatever, one in the morning after the West Coast game against Vancouver, they would always have a, a player come on the, um, they get like the hockey night in Canada towel and everything. And they would, they have viewers ask questions. And one of the questions was like, what do you, what product do you use for your hair? And he's like, just head and shoulders. That's it. He's like, it's all so, natural. Like, so Troy Palomalo hooked him up and he just stuck with it then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I did want to pivot over a little bit to the uh, world of professional wrestling because uh, we talked about this before, and I mentioned actually on I think it was my last episode where I was talking about AEW a little bit that I wanted to have you on because I wanted to get your your uh, feelings on this a little bit because I I don't know if you heard my my rant on it or whatever, but um, I did have some thoughts and, and 
I, I'm not shitting on AEW. I think what they could do, they, they they have a good idea. Like so, whenever they came out, they sold it to the fans that it was going to be sports based wrestling, right? They were going to talk about having you know Chris Jericho six and zero in his career. He's five and one against this part, whatever it is, you know. And I thought they had great ideas. They had a great roster. They got Jericho. They had MJF. Um, they they got whether you like them or not. They got big stars like Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. Um, I just wanted to like. Get, pick your brain on like what you think overall of the product of AEW, um, like it, from just like from a casual fan. Because my one knock almost it's not my only knock, but like their fan base really hasn't grown at all, which I think is a little bit um, you know a, a bad look for them because they have their core base right. So they they get about nine hundred thousand fans a week that watch their weekly show, which is really good in this era of um, especially they're a startup company. But like it hasn't grown at all from week one to now a year and a half later like how do they how do they grow it where do they go how do they get more casual fans that maybe aren't into like the indie type wrestling or japan wrestling style i don't think they will i don't think they will or even should really um i just don't think wrestling has that much growth potential in you know in 2021 like everyone still kind of longs for the the stone cold the rock era you know that was when it was more mainstream just because those guys were larger than life and it was just absolutely absurd and it was a train wreck you couldn't look away of i think they're totally fine just having their what would you say like nine hundred thousand that watch it every wednesday um that's that's what wrestling is now i think is it's consistent programming you can make a new show every week there's no off season and it's something to put on cable tv when everyone else in the world is watching either live sports or streaming. So, I mean, I don't really see them growing that much or, you know, it's, it's just changed. You know, it's, it's very different than it's ever going to be again. The kayfabe's completely dead. So, like, what I like about AEW is there's a little mix of everything. Um, I, I usually watch it on Wednesdays. My buddy Dave comes over. We have a few drinks and we watch it. And then, like, if it's boring... We start watching YouTube videos or we go sit on the porch or start talking about hockey or something like that. But um, what I do like about what well, you mentioned that they, they promoted is like the, the actual sports centric program. And it's not that at all. That was just I, I don't know if they they even show their records anymore. It, like, that was the idea at first, but it is they went the complete opposite way. They have they just keep signing people. Uh, they, they keep having a bigger and bigger roster. And then it's just kind of a mixed bag. Like you'll watch something like, Oh, this is, this is really cool. And then you watch the next one. I'm like, Oh, that was, that was absolutely terrible. But um, I'm fine with that. I kind of like the a la carte style of entertainment that we have now. Um, I don't watch a lot of, I think we talked about that last time. I don't watch a lot of stuff live anymore. It's just between whatever else is going on in life. It's nice to watch a little simple succinct easily digestible bit of content and i think they do that pretty well actually yeah i mean i i totally understand and i agree too like they're not going to be um you know attitude era 90s wrestling it's not going to boom that much and they don't and, and not just aew but wwe too i'm not absolving them either like their their program is mainly dog shit for the most part like it, it's just not entertaining they've got a couple guys um that are top you know top level and same with aew it just seems like I don't and like you said, dude. Like the um, sports base, they basically just threw that out the window. I don't, I don't know what happened. Um, yeah, they don't even mention it anymore. I remember that was like a big part of the early promotions, and they're just like, you know what, whatever. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm glad you mentioned, dude, that um, they like I'm I'm glad you mentioned that they um have signed a bunch of guys because they haven't they I don't think they've gotten rid of one person, maybe one, 
and they've got a couple people on the roster that have had some, and I don't want to get into it here, but have had some. The, yeah, they got rid of what was I can't remember his name. It was this British wrestler who I hated anyways. I thought he was boring, and he did some some. I, I don't know the full story, but yeah, they they canned him. But it was like it was a no. Yeah, it was like sexual assault. Um, they didn't, uh, allegations or something, right? Something like yeah. So they they didn't fire anyone for not drawing. You know, they just fired him because he was a piece of shit. But like, which so that was an obvious one. Um, they, it's weird because like, it seems that Tony Khan has like an infinite stream of money because he's from an incredibly rich family. It's the same family that owns the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So they just kind of keep hiring people. The show is run by wrestlers basically. And they keep hiring more and more wrestlers. And I don't know if there's going to be like a bubble that bursts at some point and they're going to have to do one of the classic WWE firings, but like WWE didn't need to do that either. I, I never understand why they have a once a year, like they cleanse their roster because they have billions of dollars. And then like once a year, they hack, you know, they, they get rid of a couple of people. And then you have people that are still on their roster. Like, um, what's his name? Uh, Bray Wyatt's brother who hasn't wrestled in three years, but still gets a paycheck. Uh, Bo, I can't. Bo Dallas. Bo, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't know if there's any. I have no idea what the politics are. He might be like that guy. <laughs> there's a news story I heard about. This guy's my, uh, my idol. He <laughs> lived in Mexico City, I think, and he got fired, and the HR department never took him off the payroll, and the dude just collected a paycheck until he died at 95. So I think like Bo Dallas might have the same kind of situation going on, which I, you know, I can respect if you can. Fucking right, dude. What a hustle, you can dude. Fuck the system and beat the man. What do a what hustle you gotta that do. is. And yeah, like. I was saying, dude, they, they've gone out, AEW has gone out and signed so many people, and like, I, I'm wondering, I want your opinion on this, do you think, and I don't know if you watched this, God, for your own, you know, your own uh, happiness and sake, I hope you didn't back in the day, but do you think they're potentially going to like TNA themselves, which for those who don't know is TNA's uh, Total Non-Stop Action, I think is what it was, and it later went to Impact and Global Force Wrestling, and God knows what it is now. I actually went to see TNA when uh, Kurt Angle wrestled uh, Bubba Ray Dudley for the TNA title when Sarah and I were in um, Universal Studios a few years ago, and uh, they were handing out free <laughs> tickets. Awesome. I'm like in line for the Hulk roller coaster. I'm like, you want to see TNA? I'm like, hell yeah! I'm just gonna crush a bunch of beers. And I started a bunch of chants from the crowd because it's like a studio show, dude. There's like a hundred people there, and I was chanting EC3 sucks. And like this person across the the way, and that's Ethan Carter the third. I think he was a wrestler at the time. I don't know if he still wrestles or not. He might be in AEW for all I know, but he. Uh, he, he, like there was some big fan across the way and he was chanting back at me and I was getting these fans riled up, but just like, do you think they're potentially TNA in themselves, man? Because like they signed guys, they're signing so many ex WWE guys and not necessarily guys that are like in their prime stars, mainly like big show. Although I believe big show who's now he's going by Paul white, his um, legal name, but is he, he's going to be more of a, um, like a commentator, I think with Tony Schiavone, but is like they signed Christian. He was their big announcement, which they, they tease it as the biggest announcement in wrestling history, basically. And people were thinking, Oh, CM Punk's coming or, um, current angles coming or somebody big's coming. And not to, there's no knock on Christian. He's a great wrestler, but he's not exactly like mainstream star power. I, I just want to know like your opinion on that. Do you think they should just focus more on maybe introducing some more stars from Japan or from other areas and other, you know, indie wrestling, um, organizations that mainstream fans don't know? And I, I know, like you said, they're not going to grow their core fan base. Their core fan base is what it is. They're going to love it no matter what, and that's fine. And, you know, every, teach their own. But, like, they're, they're going out and they're just signing all these WWE guys that WWE's letting go. 
And it's like, there's a reason WWE is probably letting him go, especially Big Show. He's been there 20 years, but he doesn't do anything. So, like, what are they going to do? You know, I, I just wonder if they're running the risk of that, not building new stars, but they're saying they're, they're taking guys that everybody's going to say, okay, yeah, they're on AEW now, but I know them from WWE. So, like, they're taking all these old stars. I, I just wonder if that's, that's a problem and what your thought is on that. Well, I mean, it could be if they give them the titles. I mean, that's the main thing. Um, if they're on there and if they're in, in there as a role to kind of be someone who shows up and can get maybe a little bit of people from the outside. Like, they had Shaq on. And people tuned in just because it's Shaq. I'd watch Shaq. I'd watch Shaq eat a sandwich. He's one of the most entertaining <laughs> he definitely people is. of all times. Um, so, like, but, like, I mean, they're... they're their TNT champion now is this kid named Darby Allen, who's some kind of like creepy emo weirdo. I don't like him that much, but I mean, he had this cinematic match they had at the last pay per view, and he was incredible. He's incre- this ridiculously athletic. He's like a young Jeff Hardy kind of a daredevil. Um, I think they're doing all right. Um, it's also like any plans that they might have had for the company, they got started and ran what six months before the pandemic right. happened. Yep. That's insane. You know, it's, it's yeah, absolutely difficult crazy time. they had to do stuff that has 100%. never happened before. Um, but but um, also, I don't know, there's a piece of information that might have changed your opinion about the big show signing. If he comes in, he wins a title. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But they actually filed for the trademark for Captain Insano. I don't know if you heard that, <laughs> but that's 100% true. Uh, uh, allegedly, it's supposed to be for a video game. But I'm just saying, if I'm watching... <laughs> if you're flipping through the channels and you see that Big Show shows up and he's wearing a wig and he pokes someone in the eye and says, Captain Insano shows no moisty, you're going to absolutely buy into it. So I'm holding out hope that that's what they actually do with him. That would be unbelievable. It'd be smart on their part, dude, for sure. And I think it would be funny too, man. Cause like, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm going to be very clear. I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, oh boy, but it, it wouldn't it. surprise me though. Like, cause I think they're, they're really trying to appeal to like, and I know I'm more of a traditional wrestling guy. Like I'm not. I'm not saying I'm the guy that wants to watch, you know, Luthez wrestle in the 1950s. But I, I want to see things that aren't like a complete insult to me. And that's like kind of what I want. Like I'm glad you mentioned Shaq because, I, again, I can't reiterate this enough. I understand that wrestling is, like, predetermined. Everybody knows it's a work. I I don't want to sound like I'm some jabroni that's in the stands at some high school gym at a Q&A with wrestlers saying it's still Crying, real to saying me. It's damn still it. real to me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like I don't want to seem like I'm that jabroni, but like when Shaquille O'Neal, so I don't know if you watched Dynamite a couple weeks ago prior to that Revolution pay-per-view. I thought it was a good match. I I didn't watch the whole show and I we you and I have talked offline about this. I didn't watch the whole show, but like I watched that match because, like you said, it's Shaq. I'll literally, like you said, I watched Shaq eat a sandwich. He's hilarious. Him and Charles Barkley are glorious. Shaq, Shaq is a draw himself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I want to see Shaq versus Charles Barkley. Is what I want to see. I don't care what promotion it's they in. They fought I'll each watch other it. in the NBA That's... before. You can go watch that. But like, it's um, <laughs> it, it, they're they're both gold. But Shaq. So I wanted to see. Okay, what's he gonna do? Because whenever uh, they started that whole promo and that whole feud, um, I believe Brandy Rhodes, who's Cody Rhodes' wife. She wasn't pregnant, at least didn't yeah. know she was pregnant at the time. Yeah, they they had to they had to change that. Um and so what they ended up doing with that match, it was supposed to be Shaq versus Cody Rhodes, who I mean, a lot of people don't know the details about wrestling. He's um uh Dusty Rhodes, who's an absolute legend, you know, one of the like uh a million different promotions. He was in every single company, just lo- beloved in the whole business. So that's his son Cody, who's one of the main people who started AEW, it was supposed to be him and his wife, Brandy, who is also a wrestler, 
versus uh, Shaq and so the main thing for that did you end up watching that did, actual yeah, match? I did. Shaq drew them in, but that that entire match was a showcase for Jade Cargill. I think it's Cargill. Yeah, yeah, Jade Cargill. Yep. She is absolutely jacked. Has a great look, and she. I, that was the first time I ever yeah. saw her wrestle. I thought she did an unbelievable job in that match. It was against someone named uh, uh, who also did great. Red, uh, Velvet, Red Velvet yeah. was her. Was her. So like Shaq and Cody weren't in them. It, it went kind of how I thought it was, and I think they did a good job for it. Like uh, Shaq's what seven five, and he's in his forties. <laughs> People who are that tall can't move that well, but they did a good job. Like he wasn't in there doing a lot of wrestling. He had a few spots set up. He went over there and just manhandled Cody. And then at one point, Cody jumped over the top rope and they both went off the top through the tables, which um, that's another draw for AEW. It seems to be that's the company that if you want to come in as a celebrity and you actually want to go through a table and risk getting hurt, they'll let you do it versus the WWE is going to protect you. I mean, Snoop Dogg did his Snoop Splash a couple oh of my. I remember <laughs> a that. Couple months ago. One of the worst frog splashes that was I've 100, ever seen. In my I, life. I, guarantee you that was because snoop dogg said he wanted to do it and they're like yeah we're not gonna tell snoop dogg he can't do what he wants you know <laughs> so um exactly dude like so i'm glad you said that too because there's two things i want to point out with Shaq. number one is like whenever he he went through the tables that was a brilliant spot i thought it was a great spot it looked good um it looked like it really hurt it looked good it looked like it it it, it didn't look corny it looked like it actually hurt like you said it Cody did most of the work and Shaq just kind of had to fall, but like it was protected in a way that he didn't hurt himself, but he looked, he went through two tables, you know, and people were just, weren't expecting him to do that. I, I honestly thought he was going to come in and just kind of like slap Cody around a little bit. Yeah. So definitely dude. Um, I mean, more power to, uh, you know, and great job by Shaq. Unbelievable. Like you got to give him props for that. The one thing I thought, like two things I had, like I mentioned, number one was he went through the table, right? Big, big spot, big bump and everything. And he was basically dead. Okay, he's laying there, he's selling it, whatever. We'll get to the aftermath here in a second, because that's my second point. But the first point, like, he's laying there, and he, he just went through a table, a routine table. Now, he's not a pro wrestler, but he's, he's a big guy. He's larger than life and all that stuff. But, like, then, like, later or on different shows in AEW, guys are taking, like, barbed wire bats. You know, they're fucking blowing up and shit like that, or they're, they're getting run over with cars, and they're, they're kicking out at two. But Shaq goes through a table off the apron and he's dead. It's just like, they're almost, they, they, that, that's where they lose me a little bit because it's like, I know not every match is the same, but they'll have like a huge, and WWE does the same thing. Don't get me wrong, Ray. I'm not burying AEW. I'm saying like, they'll have a spot where it's this catastrophe. The guy's dead. He can't move. He, what a horrible bump. What a ridiculous, oh my God, huge moment. And then like two matches later, or two episodes later of the show, they have something that's 10 times worse. The guy's beating somebody with a barbed wire bat or he's, you know, they're throwing him off a 30 foot cage and he gets up and everything. It's just like, I don't understand where wrestling is going because like now to your point, AEW, I think they, they're more of like the hardcore style because WWE, they do protect their guys more. They don't let them do as much, but like, it's almost like there's so much stuff that has happened already that you, on one hand, you have to try new things and I get that. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to believe that this guy in this like, uh, you know, explosion death match or whatever happens. And then like the guy, you know, all, all this stuff happens, this crazy steel chairs to the head and barbed wire bats. And then like you turn around and in the next episode, you have a regular match. How am I like as a fan, it, it almost fucks the business because like 
Now I can't ever believe that a guy's just going to lose to a, you know one one uh, finishing move because I've just watched somebody else who's on that same level go through 19 different fucking obstacles and he's gotten smacked in the head, he's gotten slammed through 10 tables, he's thrown off a steel cage and he's still kicking out. It's almost like where do they stop it? You know what I mean? I think they're trying to find different ways to finish and try different ways to entertain, but it's almost like I mean, how much further can you go before you're like pulling out a goddamn pistol and you're just shooting the guy i mean like and then he kicks out at two <laughs> that's one i've heard a lot about aew and you're 100 right there is no consistency from match to match you'll have like you said someone will take a bunch of finishers in the other one and then in in the next match they're no selling the exact same kind of offense but to me i think it's impossible like i, I don't know um it's a lot of aew seems to be the product that they put together is comes from the internet fans, which is why <laughs> a, a guy like Pat McAfee could come in and just bury the internet fans and they get furious and they hate him. And that's why he's an unbelievable heel to the, for NXT. Um, but like, I, I look at it personally for my own enjoyment as like an a la carte thing. And I kind of like that there's a hard reset after each match. You, ne- you know, the next thing is going to be something completely different. But at the same time, I think that like, how, how could you do a serious re- and that actually you know what that might be an interesting idea to have a wrestling promotion that's completely based on consistency because no one does that right now even in the WWE who's a little different than AEW um you know you won't have people go through 30 things and then pop back up and do a uh, a gip up and then hit their finisher um the fact that when you do a finisher on raw it's going to get a pin in a second. But then if it's on a pay-per-view, you have to hit six of them to finish someone. You know, it's like, you, to me, wrestling has always been, you have to suspend disbelief to enjoy it. I've never bought into 100%. kayfabe. I knew it was absurd from the beginning with it. You and I were talking when we were playing a little chill last night. My single favorite moment in wrestling history, we, we have a few YouTube recommendations so far, and this is my number one recommendation. Look for Stone Cold versus Booker T in the supermarket. <laughs> It is, to me, the most absurd, enjoyable, pure form of wrestling entertainment you ever see. <laughs> These guys got free reign to go through a supermarket and just hit each other with whatever they want, throw each other through. I'm almost things. positive that they did. I think they did $40,000 in damage to that supermarket. And I just remember uh, Stone Cold is just like, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Then he that's fucking blasts Booker T in the face with the frozen pizza. <laughs> so at one point, uh, Booker T fires up after Stone Cold's been just beating the hell out of him for a long time. Uh, he throws Stone Cold into the, the refrigerator section, shoves him into the back and locks the door. And then he's like, oh. Uh, he's breathing real heavy and he's like trying to like get himself back up and walk away. And Stone Cold comes bursting out holding the gallon of milk and does the <laughs> the double fingers chugs the milk and then gives him a stunner and the oh my god it's my single favorite moment unbelievable yeah, no, i do that's one of the best moments in wrestling history but i i agree like they've they they really do a poor job and wwe does this a lot too like like you said i 100 percent agree you shouldn't be able it almost buries the guy like say for instance it's the rock okay and he's wrestling stone cold at wrestlemania and like he has to hit three, four rock bottoms. It almost buries his wrestling uh, or buries his finishing move, I should say, because like now he's got to hit three or four of them to beat this guy. But you've seen Stone Cold lose before to one or like lose before to Triple H's pedigree once. 
So like there is, and I think a lot of that comes from Ray, dude. Where like they they added, they don't have just like I'm not exactly sure how AEW's um, booking structure is. I know Tony Khan's the head booker and stuff, but like WWE, they have like thirty, forty Hollywood writers that they just get lost on like they have no plot whatsoever with how guys and how matches and how storylines are going to build anymore. Whereas back in the '90s and '80s, for sure, in like the '90s and the Attitude Era, they it always seemed like they had it because it was Vince McMahon basically doing everything. And um, Jim Cornette was on the, and Vince Russo, those two guys were on the writing team with Jim Ross. And it was like a real small group and they, they had their hands on everything. They knew exactly what they were doing. So like everything was going to build and make sense. Now it's like, you know, this makes no sense. It took this guy, you know, he, he dummied this other guy with one special move. And now he's got, he's got to hit it five, six, seven times. Or like um, you look now. Uh, so Brock Lesnar beat, uh, Undertaker, he stopped his streak at WrestleMania, which was a huge moment a few years back. Um, Undertaker, I think, was 21-0, and and he lost to Brock Lesnar, and that's a big deal. I mean, because honestly, and Undertaker said it himself, who, who in WWE was going to beat Undertaker? He's beaten so many guys. He's beaten Shawn Michaels. He's beaten Triple H. He's beaten a ton of guys at WrestleMania. So, like, Lesnar's the only guy, current guy, that's like a star that you could actually believe he could beat the Undertaker, and then they they go around and like he's losing matches. Like he lost to Drew McIntyre, or he got buried by Goldberg in twenty seconds. That was my least favorite match of all times. I hate that so much. Uh, it, look at Brock Lesnar; he should never lose. The guy's an absolute once in a lifetime specimen. Freak of an he's an absolute beast. Yeah, just like I I, I don't I don't know, and, and like I'm not a I'm not a booker. Um, I don't know all the ins and outs of wrestling, but it just seems like that's their job. Like they should know like to make it make sense and get me to buy in. If I think this is complete bullshit, but I, I wanted to pivot a little bit back to what you said too about Shaq. So his second point I had on Shaq was, did you see, and I mentioned it on my last episode, did you see where he went to the ambulance on dynamite, which was perfect. I loved it. They were selling it. They were checking his vitals. They had him on the gurney and everything. And then the TV cameras cut away. And of course, everybody in the goddamn crowd has a camera now. So they pull their camera out. And then, like, the, obviously, you see the TV cameras go away. Somebody pounds on the ambulance. Shaq walks out of the ambulance and then runs to the back in front of all the fans. Like, to me, that was an absolute joke. Like, they couldn't fucking drive around the corner. So there's that's my biggest. So I, I mentioned what I like about AEW. And I honestly think if you, if you checked out a few episodes, there's things you're going to hate. I know you're going to absolutely hate them. But, like, they, they've done a great job with some long, long-term storytelling. Um, specifically, uh, do, you, do you know about Hangman Page? I do not. The Anxious Millennial Cowboy. This guy is, he, we'll, we'll talk, I, I, could, I could go on for another half hour about this, so we'll talk offline. Um, he started in, he's a young guy. He used to be a school teacher, loves wrestling, got into great shape, and he was a member of the Bullet Club in Japan. And he was kind of like towards the bottom of their roster. You know, you had the Young Bucks and, and Omega and anyone else who was involved, AJ and the, the Good Brothers and right. stuff. And when they brought him into AEW, he was one of the first people they tried to put over. He, he, was, he fought uh, Kenny really early on and couldn't beat him. Um, and then he fought Jericho in a championship match and lost. So Jericho won the first AEW title. So then he, he joined a tag team with Kenny. And they won the titles, and they went on for a while, and eventually they turned on each other. And then his whole thing is that he's he's 26 years old, and he's an anxious millennial cowboy. <laughs> and 
and he's got a drinking problem and he's not confident even though he's incredible in the ring and he doesn't know who to trust. They've been building his story for the longest time. At some point, I think they're waiting until a crowd actually is going to be there. Whenever he finally beats Kenny for the title, it's going to be an unbelievable pop. So like, that's what's interesting about AEW and probably frustrating for some people is they have like this unbelievable long-term term storytelling from the very first episode with Hangman. And then on the same show, you have a guy who comes out wearing like a gimp mask and is like doing somersaults and no selling all the offense and stuff like that. So like it is a mixed bag, but like if you will be able to find something you like, so we'll, we'll talk offline, check out Hangman. I think you're going to enjoy him. My biggest knock in AEW is their production has been so inconsistent. They have, they've had some unbelievable matches. They have some incredible talent. They have that long-term storytelling that I love. But then, like, that absolute disaster at the pay-per-view where they were having a super mega explosion, exploding oh death match God. and nothing happened. And then, like, the, the stuff with the missed camera cuts. There's so many times they've missed finishers. Like, at this point, it's been going on long enough. They need to hire some new actual production people because they've been absolutely butchering some of their products. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because number one, there's never there's never ever gonna be a better wrestling production than WWE. They're great at it. They have great um like vignettes, they have unbelievable cuts, like they have great, you know, graphics, everything like that. But I'm glad you brought that up because um the Revolution pay per view, I talked about it last week where it was uh Ambrose or sorry, John Moxley who's now in AEW and um fuck, who was he was it Omega? He was wrestling yeah. Kenny Omega, so they had like the explosion death match you're talking about. And I wanted, I, I felt so bad for Eddie Kingston, man. Eddie Kingston did a great job. Listen, Eddie Kingston might be the best promo in wrestling right now. He might be the best wrestler, dude. Like he might be, I think he's a, a, a huge star in the making, but unfortunately for him, he covered up uh, Moxley, his buddy, who they've had a lot of wars in the past. So yeah, they, they have a long history and recently on AEW pro- programming, they've, um, they had a bunch of matches against each other and Eddie was trying to lead this like heel group. So he was kind of turning on Moxley and it was supposed to be like this huge redemption moment where he came out to save his old buddy lays across him after this. Honestly, the match was great and that's going to be lost in that, which kind of sucks because like the match was excellent. Um, Kenny for being a video game character is willing to take crazy bumps and him and Moxley beat the ever living shit out of each other. And then at the end of the match, it was supposed to be, they, they've been hyping up this countdown. And, and like, if you don't get out of the ring at this certain time, it's going to explode. So like, all right, and I'm watching this. And at this point, like it's at 11 o'clock at night. And my buddy's over and we're half in the bag. We've been drinking since five o'clock. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm standing waiting for this explosion. Like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And it is the most half-assed little pew, 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 like hot garbage. And like they did a, they actually did a great job. The, I don't know if you saw the promo, um, Eddie Kingston and Moxley, who are the two best, two of the best promos, if not the two best in wrestling right now. They did this little vignette. It looked like they were hanging out at John's house, like <laughs> sitting around having a few beers by a fire talking about, um, and, and they did a good job in the storyline explaining like, well, this is supposed to be this horrible explosion and nothing happened. But like you could also I, I felt so bad for him at the time because it would have been such a cool moment in the story if there was a massive explosion and then they cut. But then it just 
pew, and fizzled out. And Kingston laid over him. And he explained, he's like, you know, they were hyping up how this was going to explode. And I heard some noises go off. So I covered John. And it took me a while to realize that nothing happened. That's what I was saying, dude. I felt so bad for him because it looked, it buried him. Because he, like, sold that fucking thing like he was dead. Like, he sold it. And that's what he's supposed to do. That's his job. He did a great job of it. Because he was covering Moxley, so he wasn't looking. But, like... The, I don't know, number one, what were they supposed to think? Like, what were the fans going to, were they actually going to blow up the ring? So from what I heard, the idea was they tested the explosion a bunch of times, and it was going to be this big, crazy explosion, just a bunch of, like, flashes of light and, and flames going up, and then they were going to cut, they were going to cut it right there. And then they were going to, like, you know, address it again on Wednesday, which is an awesome hook if they pulled it off. But a, how do you whiff on that? Like, the details are so important. They whiffed completely so that's my that's my second point right it's like they they whiffed completely why not just come out and say like yeah we fucked it up like it will never work with this pyro company again and we apologize to our fans and instead of now they're out there saying well kenny omega is a a, you know a squirmy heel he he's obviously purposely set up a bullshit fucking gimmick and we all thought it was gonna blow up but it didn't it's like, come on, and now you're even you're doubling down on insulting my intelligence. That's that's my like big thing. People make mistakes. There's nothing you can do about that. But just own up to it. Like just say I fucked up. So what I what they should have done right there, I don't know if they have producers in their ears the same way they do in WWE. Um you have the two best guys to deal with a situation like that out there. You have Moxley, who just went through hell in a ridiculous match, and he's there with Kingston who came in to save him. They should have given Eddie Kingston a live mic right there. And what they did is apparently after it went off the air, uh, Moxley did get a mic and talked about like, he goes, well, they were hyping this up. And he goes, well, that was it. That was the whole thing. You know, like I've, I've, I've seen better fireworks in my backyard, <laughs> but they didn't put that on the pay-per-view. They should have kept that on. Like they should have like at that time, I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, I obviously don't know how the networks were. If like they had like a hard cutoff for the pay-per-view. I'm sure they did. Yeah. But sure like, did. Those are some of the best moments in wrestling history is the unscripted stuff. You ever see the old YouTube videos of, uh, of Jericho and Austin doing house shows? They used to end every show where they'd come up with some dumb gimmick, like, uh, like I'm going to go home and drink a, I'm gonna drink a whiskey. What? I'm going to drink a beer. What? I'm going to drink a vodka. What? And they'd, Jericho and Austin used to go on for 20 minutes after the show doing some kind of promo with the crowd, just hyping people up, and then it would end with Austin hitting them with a stunner. And, like, that was a perfect opportunity to, to just get a live mic to Eddie and Moxley to have them do whatever they could to save that. But they, they missed that. They screwed it up. Yeah, and to your point earlier, Ray, man, like, they got money out the ass, the, the Khan family. Mm-hmm. They, they could have easily just went over and just said, okay, sorry, pay-per-view company or TNT, whatever it was. Like, <laughs> we'll pay for it. But it's gonna make it's gonna be for the betterment of our show. But that's just a couple of knocks I have on it, and I'll I, I'll take your advice. I'll I'll start watching it a little bit more. Maybe watch, watch the entire me. episodes that's, after you get that COVID shot. We'll come over. We'll have a yeah. That's a good idea because we'll like a few somebody beers and watch it. <laughs> that's why I wanted to have you on the pod because I was like you know for obvious reasons it's like we're we're having a blast here. But like um because you like AEW and you're like a, a fan of it, and I'm not at least at this point. Like some of the stuff I am. But I think maybe, you know, we can learn from each other a little bit about what I want to see, what you or how you interpret what's going on and stuff like that. It might make me into a fan of AEW. So I always thought I don't know if you'll ever be a fan of AEW overall. But what I like about AEW is, like I mentioned, it kind of has that a la carte 
element. You're going to find something you like. You're going to find other stuff you hate. But there's so much stuff going on now. Like, you know, if something, if some garbage matches on, and this happens to me sometimes, there's people I'm just not interested in or I have no idea who they are and they're just not selling it to me. I turn it off and I watch NXT for a while or I put on a YouTube video. You can do the same thing, but I guarantee you there's certain characters and certain people on there that you're absolutely going to love. Right. Yeah, no, and I agree. I'll definitely have to do that. And like that's, and again, I'm not burying AEW and absolving WWE because there's like 90% of WWE show is garbage. Like I don't give a shit about the guy. There's no story build up. There's nothing. But man, dude, this was this was a blast. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. It, w- it was a great time, man. All right, brother. Can't wait to get back on the ice soon. For sure. Take care. Yo, I hope you guys enjoyed the hell out of that interview with Ray. He's hilarious. One of my best buddies. I had a lot of fun. I think we could have went on and on with unique, entertaining names in the history of the NHL, so swig a beer for Ray. Also, too, like if you have any listeners out there have any um, just crazy names in sports or in NHL or just anywhere in general, uh, tweet them to me at Rambling Brews or send messages on Instagram at Rambling Brews Podcast because I, I really enjoy that. I think it's so funny. Like just some of these names, I'm not making fun of these players, but just the names are awesome. And I just love a good hockey name. So I love to hear some of the other um, ideas and other names that the listeners enjoy. I wanted to pivot over to one of my favorite topics that I discuss on the podcast anniversaries this week in sports and entertainment history. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and it seems to be uh, one of the more enjoyable segments on the podcast that people like, because people are always like, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. Or, oh, I forgot about that moment. Or, hey, this happened too. Or this happened next week. You should talk about this and stuff like that. So I really enjoy the engagement with the listeners and it's fun. Um, 25 years ago this week, Mike Legg at the University of Michigan was the first person to score a lacrosse style goal in a game in hockey. So if you don't know what that is, it's basically a player that's behind the net. And if you don't know what it is, honestly, you've been living under a rock for the last two years. But if you don't know what it is, it's it's a player that's behind the net, right? And he's kind of, there's nobody on him and he's behind the net and the goalie's looking back behind the net to see what he's going to do. And he picks the puck up on his stick and he lifts the stick off the ground and he kind of tries to wrap it like a lacrosse goal. Like he was changing his hockey stick into a lacrosse stick. It's very hard to describe it in like an audio format, but if you can see it, I'll I'll tweet a video of uh, Mike Legg's uh, lacrosse style goal at Michigan, now known as the Michigan, out on the Rambling Brews podcast Twitter, at Rambling Brews. But it's incredible, an incredible move. And to pull it off in college, I don't know. I know he's the first one to do it and definitely the first one to do it on video. He's credited with doing it. I don't want to knock anybody that maybe has done it 30, 40 years ago that just didn't get the notoriety. But he's universally known as the guy that created this lacrosse move, or at least uh, was the first one to accomplish it in a game. Um, So it's like I said, it's known as the Michigan. You've seen players like Andrei Svechnikov score like this a few times over the last couple of years. The Carolina Hurricanes, uh, young Russian forward, a stud. Um, and some other players are trying it too. Most notably Sidney Crosby a few weeks ago, he tried it on the backhand. That's absurd. Anybody, anybody that's ever played hockey at any level, peewee to beer league, to college, to rec league, to fucking NHL level, college level, doesn't matter. We'll tell you it's absolutely ridiculous and absurd to try that on the backhand. And he almost pulled it off. You can knock him for not scoring. But it wasn't for a lack of effort. It was just a good play on defense there and and good goaltending. But I'll tweet that video out too because like, oh my God, just watching Crosby try to pick it up on the backhand, knowing how difficult that is. It was one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in my life. But 
Definitely uh, wanted to point out that 25 years ago, like I said, Mike Leg Mike Leg was the first person to pull this off. So big swig of beer for Mike Leg for giving us this move, and swig of beer for all the NHL players today having the balls to try in an NHL game. And secondly. 22 years ago this week, and this is awesome coming off the last episode I just had, but Stone Cold Steve Austin on Monday Night Raw 22 years ago drove a Coors Light truck out to the ring, cut one of the most electric promos the weekend or the Monday before WrestleMania the following weekend, which I believe was WrestleMania 15, one of the best WrestleManias of all time. And he cut an electric promo. The crowd's going insane. It's one of the best promos uh, and best hypes for a match ever. You can see it like in the video of Vince McMahon. He He's like looking at Austin while Austin's talking. And you can see it in his face. He knows that this is gold and this guy's one of the best to ever do it. He's just looking at him like, thank you so much for all this money you're giving me and all this success that this company's having. But And The Rock sold it great. It's hilarious. But after the promo, Stone Cold says, you know, I'm going to win the match on Sunday. And... In, in a celebration, I'm going to drink a hell of a lot of beer, but I think we should share some pre-match beer right now. And then uh, the Rockets on the mic, and he's like, Stone Cold, Jabroni, you take your truck and drive it right back down Know Your Roll Boulevard. You take a left on Jabroni Drive and check your candy ass into the SmackDown Hotel. And right when he says SmackDown Hotel, Stone Cold comes out of nowhere with a hose, like a fire hose, hooked up to the Coors Light truck. <laughs> and he starts squirting Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, and The Rock with... The uh, the core's light and it's crazy. It's going all over the crowd and everything. It was, it was one of the most iconic moments in WWF history and WWE history now, I guess. But um, just an unbelievable moment, and it's hilarious watching Vince McMahon. He's selling it. He's pretending like he's swimming in the middle of the ring, and his suit's all ruined and everything. And Stone Cold's like turns the fire hose that has beer coming out of it, and he drinks from it, and he's throwing the middle fingers. It's awesome. One of the best uh, segments in wrestling history for sure. So I definitely wanted to point that out because Stone Cold Steve Austin's an inspiration. He's the fucking man. Um, I love everything about him. So I wanted to give the biggest swig of beer for Stone Cold Steve Austin. 22 years ago this week, one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history of him driving the Coors Light truck down to ringside and putting on a show. So swig of beer for Stone Cold. And with that, the weather's beautiful. Get outside, grab some ice cold beers, have a hell of a weekend. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around. Here. Here.